right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Derek Johnson in with me is Adam by David Lesky of Inside the Crown to talk Royals, which is why we're starting a little late today. He'll join us in about an hour from right now. Bad weekend for local football. Why even watch football? Let's move on to basketball season. It's that time of year, right? Is it too early to say KU basketball season? I feel like that's so demeaning to the football team. Uh, I I would tend to agree. I mean, it's it's not it's not an easy easy life for them. I'm trying to think. You know, it, it's but it man, it's hard because you've got it's a year. I mean, everyone's always excited about KU basketball, but it, this seems like a year where you know you really their high expectations in Lawrence for the basketball team. But, you know, it's hard because I, I can't help it. And I know you feel the same way. We can't not get emotionally invested in this football team. No. And sometimes, I don't know, I, I just keep trying to tell myself, because I, I, Derek, you're a youngin', but I, I vividly remember not just 07, which is an incredible year, but that stretch that Mangino had where a bowl was the expectation every year. And uh, that sounds so far away from right now. I know, and it it's sad, but it's I just keep trying to convince myself it's it's worth it. I mean, it, the the biggest, the two big big turnarounds I've seen in my life have been the uh, the Chiefs under Andy Reid, who obviously went from two and fourteen to uh, eventually winning the Super Bowl. Uh, the Royals, of course, who were awful through most of my lifetime, and then twenty thirteen got things going, and and we all knew what happened in fifteen. I really do believe it is worth it, but it's just I I don't know what it is, and and Derek, maybe you can speak on this, and I think it's a good thing, but we're not apathetic yet, which is yeah. I think a good thing, but my word, it hurts still to to actually care about these games. Yeah, yeah, and I'll be honest, early in that Duke game, it felt like, and and I think I said this on Twitter, and and this was at the point when I'll get to this in a moment. When things were really going bad for KU, where I was like, "Oh, this is where the fan apathy starts." Yeah, you know, and that's that's the thing you want the least. Um, but it was that it was that first three series of the game, which those first three series were the most KU football game that you know you could possibly dream up. Duke starts driving the ball down the field on the opening kickoff, feels like they're about to score, and then you get that brief moment of hope for a KU football fan. He throws the interception. I think the receiver ran the wrong route, or Maybe the quarterback just thought he was running a different route. Romello Dotson undercuts the what would have been an out route, at least the throw from the quarterback, Gunnar Holmberg, picks it off, has 70, 80 yards in front of him yeah. to get the end zone. The only guy to beat is the quarterback. And not only the only guy to beat is the quarterback, he's got a five-yard edge on him. And he gets run down by the quarterback. This is a corner. And it's worth noting, it's the guy's name's Gunnar. Yeah. Like, <laughs> People named Gunner aren't fast. No, it's not Jet. Like they're, Jet yeah, they're known. If your name's Gunner, you're probably from the South. Right. And you've played quarterback. 
You've been a pocket quarterback since you were six months old. Yeah, Gunner is the fifth or, or fourth Manning brother. Yeah, was, exactly. Was never released. That lives in the house all his life that nobody knows about. Um, and he got caught by him. And then the first drive of KU's offense, it's like, okay, well, that stinks. But still, they have the ball at the 20-yard line. Just go punch it in, make it not matter. I forget if it's the first play or the second play of the series, they get a 15-yard penalty, clip or block in the back, and they move back. And now all of a sudden, you're like barely in field goal range, if you're even in field goal range at all. And you get second and 23, and you run the football yeah. right up the middle. You don't pick anything up. And then you have to kick a long field goal after having what should have been a pick six. You miss the field goal. And that was the ultimate Kansas football experience. And then the next series, Duke quickly goes down and scores a touchdown. And we were texting about that because that happened a few times. The running, and and I I always I, I I strongly believe this year, and I still have a lot of hope for Lance Lightbold. And I know you're not, you know, knocking it. You know, you're right. not you're cri- you're ma- you're making you're criticizing, and that's fair. It's open to criticism, but I I know you're not suggesting. Well, I'm not like, even criticizing. Oh, this- I mean. That's not all Lance. It's not Lance Lightfoot's yeah, exactly. fault that Romello Dotson got run down by Gunnar. Yeah, Holmberg, exactly. Right? But I'm I, I'm going back to the to the running on second long. The I, I keep asking, you know, I is this a, my first thought was this concern about Jason Bean and his health? If they make him pass too much, are they opening him up to get hit? But if I'm not mistaken, he passed more in this game than he did all year, right? He had 32 passes, which I think is yeah. is league high, or I mean, is year high. And and so season high is the word I'm looking for. And so it, it clearly wasn't that, but that was I when when that when you when you run on second long, what you're telling me is we're giving up on this drive. We're just trying to clear out some room to maximize our punt. That's what that tells me. Uh, and that's it's just I don't know. It's it's annoying to see. Right, and I mean. This has been a staff that, to this point, has actually been pretty aggressive. Like, you went for it on fourth down a couple times against South Dakota. You tried to ice the game away on a QB sneak that you didn't get, but you probably did. You just got a bad call. Uh, You went for it a ton on fourth down against Coastal Carolina. Like, you're being aggressive on fourth downs. I don't understand the lack of aggressiveness there, and and that's what was most irritating in the game. Again, this doesn't change anything from the long term. It doesn't change the way I view Lance Leipold or the way that you know, the program could go for KU. And at the end of the day, if in year three they go six and six, nobody's going to care mm-hmm. about this game, you know, in, in three years. But it, it's just irritating when it's those same mistakes that you kind of attribute to saying, well, this is just Kansas football. And the and, and beyond that, for me, what, what it was funny you mentioned that because for me, the here we go again with KU football moment came – in the second half, when it was 27-21, and within eight minutes of game time, mm-hmm. it's 42-27. And that that needs to stop the... It's happened a lot this year. And, yeah, and that and that needs to, you know, because it, it all started with... They, they gave up a touchdown, I think, mm-hmm. and then... but and then, Which immediately led to an interception. But there needs to be the... the all right, that we've made a mistake... Now that compounds and turns into, and, and it, you know, it seems like the, and I don't want to speak for what's going on the sideline, going on on the sideline, but it seems like there, you kind of have this here we go again, where one mistake, because instead of Snow looking balls. at it with the perspective yeah. of going, hey, it's it's the third quarter and it's twenty eight twenty seven, we're hanging with these guys, you can't let go of the of what just happened and 
before you know and you blink and it's 4227 that can't happen because that's that's you know that's how you go from you know a, a decent 3 and 9 4 and 8 season which everyone would go wow to a 1 and 11 mm-hmm. season is is you you let you, you're in a game that athletically maybe you match up decently with a team but then you don't have the mental fortitude to let go of a previous mistake and that goes to the next and the next and the next. And then before you know it, the game's over. It's kind of the opposite of what we've seen over the years from Kansas basketball. It's made them so successful. How many times has a Bill Self team been in a battle with a Big 12 opponent who maybe is hovering around 500, they're playing in outfield house, it's 54-54 with 10 minutes to go, and then all of a sudden there's one of those vintage Bill Self runs where they go on a 12-0 run to pull away and, and kind of come up with the game. You have to be able to be successful and and – Again, you're not asking them to be that level of successful. But to be successful, you have to – it's not even go on those runs, but viewing it from the other end, the teams who are getting beat by Kansas, avoid those long runs. Yeah, exactly. And and put put mistakes behind you. To, to, to mm-hmm. bring that – to go back to that same comparison that you just made, Derek, it's – you know, if, if it's – it would be the equivalent of KU's up, you know, whatever, 56-50 – they couple turnovers and then all of a sudden it's 58-56 and KU's down by two. The the basketball team, and I don't know, I mean, and look, a lot of it is talent. KU's bringing in top-tier talent for basketball. But there is something to be said about mental fortitude where you go, all right, forget about all that, let go of it, focus on where you are. Because if, you, if you're not careful, it's going to go from we just allowed an 8 nothing run to we just allowed a 16 to 2 run so it's it isn't just an ability to go on huge runs it's ability it's the ability to com- keep the other team to go all right it's 6 nothing now we're going to stop this run mm-hmm. it's time to you know forget all right i just threw an interception whatever defense you got to come yep. back and get a stop for us it can't just keep building and perfect example i mean we'll talk about the chiefs game in a little bit here but even though they lose that game they were Perfect example of being able to do that. You're down 14 nothing. you turn the ball over, but you're able to make stops, you keep yourself in it, you get the field goal before the half, calm things down, all of a sudden you're taking the lead late in that game in the fourth quarter, even though you don't come away with it. And, and that's where I'm at with this Kansas like season, the game specifically, because I could sit here, and, and I did this after the Coastal Carolina game. I think it was well worth it. You know, you lose the game, you don't cover the spread, but there's progress. You were in it in the third quarter against a ranked team. Against Baylor, you were in it in the third quarter. Yep. against a, what turns out to be a really good Baylor team. They just beat Iowa State. And I could do the same thing for this Duke game. I could sit here and tell you how great it was again, that KU was competitive into the third quarter, and that is progress. And and it kind of is to a certain standpoint. And I don't want to discount that. So if you want to look at gla- that glass half full, go for it. You know, Jason Bean made some great throws downfield. Um, Devin Neal, Tory Lachlan, finally got the running game going, which was great for both those running backs. I think you saw their ability in the open field. But the offensive line had their best run-blocking game of the year and allowed them to get into the open field. Trevor Wilson, Kwame Lasseter, L.J. Arnold were really good at the receiver position. For KU, all are good signs of progress moving forward. But at the same point in time, it's frustrating when you're playing a bad Duke team. This isn't the same as playing a top 25 now, top 25 Baylor team, or playing a top 25 Coastal Carolina team on the road. This is a Duke team who was really bad a season ago who lost to Charlotte, lost to Charlotte early this year. And yes, they have corrected a bit with two wins, but 
It's a win over Northwestern, who got blown out by Michigan State as well. It's a win over an FCS team and now Kansas. And Duke was negative in turnovers most of the game. It ended up 2-2. Two to two. KU had two late turnovers in that game. Uh, but for most of the game, you were positive, too, in the turnover margin. You probably could have won that game yeah. if you're Kansas. And you lost by 19. You couldn't cover the spread. And it was... It- it, what the, the worst part to me is they lost in an eight minutes of football. Yes, it went the the eight minutes where it went from twenty seven twenty one to forty two twenty seven, and it may have even been less, less than eight minutes. I'm just ballparking it, but that that was the the most frustrating thing, and and something I'd be fascinated to hear from uh, with Lance Leipold. With when you're a college coach, you acquire whether it be attitude or certain areas of talent. You acquire that in in two ways: either you coach it, or you recruit it. And that that toughness, that that tough mindset, to let go of a mistake and go and gosh, I'm really angry. We should be up thirty one to twenty four, but instead it's twenty eight twenty seven. Letting go of that and and accepting where you are. And focusing on this play, is that toughness something that you recruit or something that you can build? If it's something they can build, then I expect those types of runs, those types of stretches to go away at some point this year. Unfortunately, we can point to some, we can point to a time it's happened. Even against uh, South Dakota, we can point to a time, in, in this case, it wasn't a time where KU went from leading to losing. It was a time, although they were down 14-10, but every game this year, you can point to a spot where KU went from, oh my gosh, what just happened? We went from a, being in a good position to, you know, yeah. against South Dakota, they weren't South getting Dakota, blown you, out. But South Dakota, give you them 14 put them away. Yeah. yeah, and they didn't. And so, if that's something that you can coach into a team, then that is that is a, a, a trend that I would need to see go away this year. That doesn't mean they need to win a given game, but I do expect to see some games this year when I'm judging progress, I do expect to see some games there where I I'll go, Hey, you know, they made this mistake and that was, you know, in, in the third quarter and I was sitting on my couch watching this game going, this is a moment where it's, you know, the other team's about to go on a 21 to three run or 21 to nothing run. And they dig themselves out of it. They respond, you know, they give up a long touchdown and instead of going, all right, here we go again, they respond with a long drive and a touchdown of their own. I expect to see that. I expect to see responses to adversity, not here we go again. Mm-hmm. If, yeah. if if that's something that you can coach, then I expect them to coach it into their players this year. Yeah, so I think biggest negatives from the game, that would be at the top of the list. Missed tackles was still an issue, although it was a little better actually overall, but there were a couple that were huge plays, like the Gavin Potter play where could have sacked the quarterback, and I don't even know what he was doing. He just like slapped his shoulder pads, basically. Uh, that turned into a big play. That was kind of part of a, a game-changing play yeah. in, in the game. That's obviously a big concern. Um, some of those decisions, like I said, you, you ran it on second and 23 or whatever it was. You ran it on third and 11, I think, when you were up 24-21 driving for the first time in the first half. You score a touchdown there. Who knows what happens with the momentum? You're up two scores at that point. Who knows what changes there? I, I thought that was a little weak to, to run it there. So some of those decisions don't necessarily love that. Those were the most worrisome things. Uh, let's, I guess, end this on a positive. What was the biggest positive you came away from in, in the game against Duke? Jason Bean. By far, if, if I had to pick another, and I hope I'm not stepping on your toes here, uh, Neil. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 they didn't seem to miss a beat. I, it, it seems, and I, I, I feel I can't believe I'm forgetting the, the the kid who just left the program. Yeah, Velton Gardner. Velton Gardner. You know, it, it really seemed like they're not missing a beat. It seems like they wound up with, um, you know, the 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 correct running back. Uh, you mentioned the 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 offensive line play, which with this particular system, offensive line is always huge when it comes to a run game. This particular system. Uh, from what I understand, is even more important. Uh, but if I had to pick one, Jason Bean, you're you're he had he had one pretty bad interception. There's another interception that I think somewhat forgivable. Uh, I would like to see his touchdown numbers go up. But anytime, I mean, KU is going to be in a much better spot more often than not when you have a running or when you have a quarterback who's throwing for ten yards an attempt. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, and the, the one throw he had where he's on the run. All the way out to the right, you have one guy dragging across maybe 10 yards downfield, and then I think Kwame Lasseter caught this ball. He was like 20 yards downfield, throws it on the run, hits him at the sideline. That was gorgeous. Some of the deep balls. Uh, I, I was just really impressed with the receivers overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of those catches were contested as well, and Jason Bean obviously gets credit for fitting them into tight windows, but you had to get plays from the receivers, and that was a unit coming into the year we had questions about. Not that there wasn't talent there, because you know they've been recruited well when you have Emmett Jones leading that positional group, but... Uh, 13 of the 16 receivers on the roster are underclassmen. It's a very young group. Kwame Lasseter is the only senior on the roster for KU at that position. But LJ Arnold, who was really good against South Dakota, then you didn't see a ton of him the last two weeks in terms of receiving, had a big game. I think Trevor Wilson, you're continuing to see a growth of him. He was a guy who he has all the speed in the world, but the question was, can he be a reliable pass catcher? Can he catch the ball? And he's been fantastic catching balls in traffic. And then Kwame Lasseter's just been kind of a reliable target that you've been able to hit. Uh, so I was really impressed with with the receivers. But the defense really struggled, and you obviously end up losing the game. So it's still a free pass year for Lance Leipold at the end of things. Like I said, if you go 6-6 six and six in year three, we're not going to look back on this and go, man, can you believe they lost to Duke? in year one in 2021. Um, so it's kind of unfortunate because you do kind of have to continue to put the blinders on, and I don't want to say that as, we'll just ignore the KU football season, move on to KU basketball and Chiefs and everything else in your life. I'm not saying that, but it's just kind of put the blinders on in terms of the win-loss results, in terms of what specifically happens, and you're just looking for game-to-game progression. I think there was some game-to-game progression in this Duke game, but some areas that you kind of took a step back and you're going to be looking for them to maybe take another step forward in the game against Texas Tech. I know they play Iowa State this week, but not expecting that to go great. Iowa State off a of loss. Texas Tech in a couple weeks in homecoming. Maybe that is your best chance for your second win of the year. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 at 1320 KLWN. Coming up next, Chiefs lost as well. Get your car washed because it's probably dirty right now. Whether it's, you know, washing all the germs out, you want to get obviously the germs out of your car, but also you want it to look really nice. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. It's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's. And guess what? They have an app. It's the Tommy Club app. So download it. I know you have a smartphone, so you're going to be able to download apps. You don't have a flip phone if you're listening to this podcast. I'm just assuming that. And if you do, more power to you. But if you do, then you're missing out on this great deal. Because if you download the Tommy Club app today, you're going to enjoy endless washing for one low price. Endless washing for one low price at Tommy's Express Car Wash. That's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry. Unlimited use of exclusive app lane at Tommy's. Unlimited access to all the Tommy's locations. And there are a lot of them. Unlimited guest service. Most importantly, unlimited happiness. That's a Tommy's Express Car Wash.
Well, the Chiefs now 1-2 on the year. They fall to the L.A. Chargers on Sunday. Lost four of their last, or three of their last four games, just like KU football, unfortunately, for the Chiefs. I, I, I talked about this last week with the Ravens. It's always funny that with where the Chiefs are versus where KU is, when KU loses, it's like, oh, here we go again. Whereas with the Chiefs, they lose, and it's like, oh, the world is ending. How could this team lose? And now they've lost two in a row, and it does feel like the world actually is ending, at least for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, kind of an interesting game. Chiefs had the turnover issues. They completely out-yarded the Chargers. Defense actually played good early until the turnovers started to stack up, and then at the end of the game, defense couldn't make a stop. There were the two kind of um, polarizing, I guess would be a way of putting it, uh, calls that went against the Chiefs, the pass interference on the fourth and nine against the Chargers, and then the Hail Mary by the Chiefs that some people were saying it should have been uh, pass interference against the Chargers pulling down uh, Tyreek Hill and, and Travis Kelsey. I, I don't really care about any of that, to be completely honest. I, I typically don't really care about what happened with the officials unless it's overly blatant. Um, but this is kind of interesting that you've had Patrick Mahomes in a situation where these last two games – he has come up with very, very bad interceptions in very, very bad moments. Yeah, uh, to me, I mean, that that was, and I don't know, maybe we're just getting, I hope we're not just getting some universal correction. <laughs> that was kind of my initial thought. When because it it's, you know, you, you kind of had these moments, because everybody, you know, the Brett Favre comparisons have come in a lot, and they kind of went away when, when, he, when Mahomes didn't throw any interceptions, but... You know, when you have this incredible incredible ability like Mahomes has, you're going to push it, you're going to push it, you're going to push it. And we have seen times in previous years where a ball, either it's thrown so hard that it should have been picked off, but it flew th straight through the defender, defender's hand, or the Chiefs were just lucky that it the defender just dropped it. But, you know, so I don't see if we're so, I don't know if we're, I hope, like I said, we're not just seeing some universal correction that he's making these questionable decisions in the past got away with him or his receivers were able to make the play you know I I don't know if he feels like he's doing too much but it, it's it's frustrating but I, I do think and I, and you know I, I kind of had to put my foot in my mouth after the Chargers game because he made uh, at least one big mistake again but I said after the Ravens game if if the Chiefs you know losing is going to come down to questionable decisions and mistakes on the part of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, then the Chiefs are in really good shape still. Yeah. and it, But, again, but that's now two games in a row. Right. And yeah. So there, there comes a point, like, this used to be a thing with the Chargers, where every year the Chargers would, you know, there's every so often there was, I feel like, I don't know, one out of four years where Phillip Rivers would have a 12-4 and four team or something. Um, but those other years, the Chargers would go like 6-10, and 7-9, and they lose these incredibly close games. Yeah. And they'd end up in the year and they were like, yeah, they won one game by a possession or less. And they lost eight games by a possession or less. And you're like, that can't continue. That's going to revert to the norm. But it never did. Yeah. So you could sit there and go, okay, it'll revert. Well, they'll be fine. But sometimes it isn't. So, so I don't want to just sit here and say, oh, the Chiefs will be fine. Because, you know, I, relatively speaking, I, I think they'll still be a winning team and everything. But... There are real questions when your expectations are Super Bowl, essentially. And, yes, there are very real questions about if that is in the cards for this team. And so the way that I view it is 
yes, it is dangerous that Patrick Mahomes has done that the last two games, but I kind of view it as he has been given zero margin for error. And when you think to the Ravens game, defense can't stop the Ravens. Clyde Edwards-Alaire fumbles the ball around him. Andy Reid, some questionable coaching decisions. Everything around him made it so that despite him being able to put up 35 points, that one play was the difference in the Ravens winning because he has no margin for error. In the Chargers game, you know, if uh, Marcus Kemp catches that no-look pass where a DB isn't within five, seven yards of him, they probably get a touchdown on that drive. If Clyde Edwards-Alaire doesn't fumble, maybe they get more points that drive. If Tyreek Hill doesn't fumble, they probably get a touchdown on that drive, right? So if not for all of those other things, if not for the defense struggling on many other drives, if not for some other things that win against Patrick Mahomes, that interception at the end of the game never happens. So again, he has been given no margin for error. And that is a little bit scary because you don't want it to be that way. You don't, like, I I found myself watching yesterday's game thinking, oh no, they're turning into what the Seahawks were last year. Which, that was still good enough to, I forget if the Seahawks won the division or not, but I know they were a playoff team. They, and they made the divisional round, yes. I know that, because they uh, they lost to the Packers in Green Bay. So they, they won a wild card game yeah. and they lost in the divisional They were a good round. team. Yeah. Made the playoffs, made it to the divisional round, as you said. But there was always questions of, is this just like Russell Wilson keeping this thing above water? The defense is really bad. And then the defense found a little something at the end of the year when they played worse opponents. That kind of feels like the Chiefs to me right now. This game was a prime this game was set up to me and it was a prime example of every criticism I have of Brett Veach. And you as long as you hear me on the radio or follow me on Twitter, I will never be the type to just clamor for somebody's job. And that's not what I'm doing with Brett Veach. I think Brett Veach is shown to be really, really good at his job. But I also think there, and so I'm fine. I, I'm fine with keeping Brett Veach. I don't want, you know, I don't want to make criticism seem like a call for somebody's job. That's not what this is. But when you, you know, think of how bad the Frank Clark contract would be if he hadn't shown out in the playoff. If those three incredible games that he had in the year the Chiefs won the Super Bowl took place in weeks three through six rather than divisional round AFC title and, and, of course, the Super Bowl, we'd be viewing that trade and contract a lot differently. And what when you go the direction the Chiefs are going, which is either a fear or just a lack of desire to walk on stars, then you are going to have to hit on the drafts. Because what you're doing right now is you're giving up first-round picks We'll see how Orlando Brown turns out. But what you're doing right now is you're giving up first-round picks for ready-made talent. Okay, but then you're not able to pay that ready-made talent first-round contract money. You have to pay them a heap of money. So you've got Frank Clark and Chris Jones, who has been productive, but you've got all this money, Anthony Hitchens, you've got a lot of money going to players who are not producing and that then bleeds down to why Daniel Sorensen is playing so many snaps. You know, would you rather have one guy who is at a level of 90 or 95 and paying him $22 million a year, or would you rather have three guys who play at about an 80 that you can afford to pay $7 million a year? And when the Chiefs are going this direction, which is paying a lot of stars— one, the Stars better play to star level. 
When you're paying Frank Clark and, and Chris Jones the amount of money you're paying them, they can't just be, wow, he's really good at setting the edge to be a run gap stopper. No, they have to get 10 sacks. They have to get 12 sacks. And that's not showing out right now. And that is the really, really frustrating thing that if you don't want – you know, if you don't want to build depth or if you want to count on your draft to build depth and you want to pay your frontline guys heaps of money, fine, but they have to show out. And right now, Frank Clark is really not. And Chris Jones, he's not living up to his contract. He's no. been better than Frank no, Clark. He had, he had two sacks in week one, so good to go there. Week two, you're going up against a beat-up Ravens offensive line. Ronnie Stanley, their all-pro tackle, was out of the game. Alejandro Villanueva, who got pieced up, by Max Crosby in week one. I had to move over to left tackle. He's like 40 years old. And Chris Jones couldn't do anything against him. And then this week, they had Chris Jones lining up on the outside against, uh, I forget the name of the, the right tackle for the Chargers. At left tackle, they have Rashawn Slater, who was a, a first-round pick for them, and he's been phenomenal so far this season. But the right tackle has been very much not phenomenal this season. And that's who they lined him up against. And they couldn't do anything. Yeah. And and you're paying you know, you're just you're paying them too much money. If you want to have a defensive scheme where your edge rushers are essentially serve as distractions to give your middle guys and, and really Chris Jones was really good at that. Chris Jones was really good at that when edge rushers were looked at by the opposing team's offensive line and they got some attention away from Chris Jones, Chris Jones would bowl through whatever center or guard was going up against him, and he would get his. But right now, you're not paying those guys to basically eat up the attention for your middle guys. And if you are, then your middle guys aren't aren't doing what they need to do. No, correct. And now there is a lot of pressure on the next game in Philadelphia because – you dropped the one and three. It's not insurmountable, but I mean the, Ra- could, the Raiders are three and zero. Oh. Yes, and that that's the issue here. It's looking more and more uh, very early in the season, like hey, if you make the playoffs, you might be going on the road in Wild Card Weekend. It's not just the Raiders either. Broncos are three and zero. Oh. Chargers are two and one. Yeah. So it's not just about hey, we have to catch this one team. It's that we have to catch all these teams, which is a tough game because not all of them are going to lose every week. You know, it's one thing to be two games back. It's another to be behind everybody in your division that you're rooting for all of them every single week. And I I don't know how much I buy the Broncos. I mean, they've played a really crummy schedule so far. Raiders look legit. I mean, they're beating good teams. Dolphins were without Tua. I don't know what to think of that. But the Dolphins, even last year with Ryan Fitzpatrick, were a near playoff team. You beat the Steelers, who were a playoff team a season ago. You beat the Ravens, who... Playoff team, that's their only loss this year, and who beat the Chiefs. So uh, a lot of pressure on this week, and it's very, very easy. Now, somebody pointed this out to me last week, so I want to give both sides of this. Uh, when you lost to the Ravens, I said the Chiefs are very close to being 0-2 right now. And, you know, he pointed out and said, well, they're also very close to being 2-0. And Bingo. That's very true. You could say the same thing this week. Chiefs are very close to being 0-3. Yeah. Also very close to being 3-0. Yeah, and that's and, and and yeah, you're absolutely right. And and the statistics will tell you in the long term that the close games eventually, mm-hmm. you know, the math works in the favor of you go basically about 500 in close games. But one, if you, I mean, that's not good. If you go, even if the Chiefs do go about 500 in close games, if every game is a close game, yes. then you're looking at a nine and eight record or an eight and nine record. And 
you know, that's not that's not good. And and, and I am one hundred percent in favor of the Patrick Mahomes contract. But that's more as time goes on, you're going to be cut into the cap more and more by Patrick Mahomes contract. And oh by the way, if this new everyone's saying, oh, this new TV deal was going to come is going to come in and you know, it, the cap could balloon to as much as three hundred ninety and four hundred million dollars. If that does, Patrick Mahomes is going to want to restructure, and then you're going to pay him sixty or seventy million dollars. Which again, he's a freak talent. He is incredible. He does things at the quarterback position that have never been done before. But you can't. You still have put yourself in a position where you have to be so careful with every other dollar you spend, and. Right now, it's starting to wonder, you know, how wisely. Because I, I, I'm, if we're just talking about Mahomes, he had he's had a couple big mistakes. I I bank on him getting better. I bank on Patrick Mahomes turning this around, and this just being two, you know, difficult games. But the other guys that they're paying a lot for, do I bank on Frank Clark to turn it around and turn into what he was in the playoffs a couple years ago? No, he's not. He is what you know. He is what he's been. And so, if you're going to if you're going to pay Mahomes what you're paying him, that's all well and good, but you need to be really, really smart with the rest of your cap. And right now, that is definitely a question. And yeah, I mean, they're going to need to get some some big wins here. That was a, a question mark with last year's team. Uh, could you tell me? Uh, this will be a little trivia here. Do you know the last time the Chiefs won a regular season game? By double digits. All right, hang on. I'm gonna try. Um, let's see, because they went, they ended that year. If we included the postseason, it, it would have been it was the, the Bills AFC and Championship. The, yeah, but but it, it, if it's just regular season, because they had that stretch of like eight in a row, um, where they let's see, it was Oakland 35-31. Um. No, I can't. I couldn't tell you. It was the New York Jets. They beat them thirty-five to nine yep. on November first, and then after that, they had the Panthers, Raiders, Bucks, and so forth down the line through the regular season. That makes it the last eight games of that season, three games this year. It's been eleven games since and the Chiefs have won by double digits. A reminder: the big talk out of that, out of that, and look, I was guilty of this too. The big talk from that stretch was: well, look at how much they were up against the Buccaneers in the regular season. Look at how much they were up against the Dolphins in the regular season. And they, that just, for a lot of fans, myself included, it was so, so tempting to think, well, that just means they can turn it on and off and, and whenever they want. And, okay, they were up 17, so they stopped being creative with their play calling. So, you know, I, but we're, we're at a point now where I don't know that that's the case anymore. And one of those games, golly, was the Falcons. Didn't they need a field, didn't they need a missed field goal against the Falcons? Yeah. To, to win that, to come away with yes, a win? they very easily could have lost that. They needed a missed field goal from the Panthers, too. So, uh, Chiefs definitely got to turn things around from here. That's a very vague way of saying things, but a rough start for Kansas City. All right, David Lesky is going to join us in 25 minutes. This is RCST. So, the Royals lose today to Cleveland. And that's going to really, really hurt for their chances. I think that might actually mathematically eliminate them from a chance at second place, maybe? I don't know. Third place, I think, still, but it pretty much has to be perfect from here. If not, David Lesky of Inside the Crown joins us now on RCST. Uh, so, David, you you predicted 
the pitching staff and the position players for the Royals in 2022 and, and go check out that work at Inside the Crown. Uh, were there any players who were the toughest to kind of figure out their role or if they're even going to be on the team next season? Yeah, I mean, the roster doesn't quite make sense <laughs> with what's in the organization right now, um, which is not necessarily a theme we haven't heard a lot of in the last few years, but um, I mean, you look you look up and down, and you've got MJ Melendez just absolutely raking in AAA, but he plays catcher, so that's a problem. And then Bobby Witt Jr. I mean, they're they're going to find a spot for him, but they've got 19 shortstops. I mean, it's it's like there's a bunch of guys who uh, are kind of superfluous. Um, I guess not necessarily the prospects, but some guys already on the roster, not Salvador Perez either, obviously, but. Um, and at the same time, they just don't have many people for certain spots like center field. And so it, it was it was actually pretty difficult. One of the more difficult projections I've done, because I, I like to do this around this time of year, every year, um, whether for myself or writing it. But um, it, it, it was tough just because you, you've got a bunch of guys who play the same positions. And so um, you know, Hunter Dozier, who has kind of been fine for, for a while now, I mean, I know he gets he gets a lot of hate within, at least I don't I don't know if it's outside of social media, but definitely on social media. But I mean, he's been pretty much perfectly fine since like late late June, early July. Um, it's hard to find a spot for him though on in in the lineup, not just on the roster, but in the lineup. And then you know some other guys like Kyle Isbell. I, I have him kind of penciled in as center field because I think he's done a really nice job while Michael A. Taylor has unfortunately been out for personal reasons, um, but Kyle Isbell has done a nice job of, of taking advantage of that opportunity, but at the same time, do the Royals really want him in center field? So it, there were a lot of things that just, like I said, the roster just doesn't quite work, and I mean, I wrote back in, oh gosh, I don't know, June or July, that the roster makes sense, makes a lot more sense if it doesn't include either Carlos Santana or Whit Merrifield, um, which is, Santana's been terrible, but Merrifield, it's a weird thing to say that the roster makes more sense without him. Um, but there's just there's a lot of uh, a, a, a lot of tough decisions that they're going to have to make, and it, it made it hard for me. Luckily, what I wrote means absolutely nothing, so it was no big deal. But um, it, it, some of it was pretty tough. Well, I noticed that on the pitching portion, you had Chris Bassett in the pitching rotation, uh-huh. uh, signee from the Oakland A's, who's had a fantastic year. So, what's the deal? Why why no Max Scherzer? Well, um, I, I had them getting outbid by by a hundred thousand dollars on Scherzer, so um, it was really Fair. really close, but they just couldn't get there. You know, it's funny since I've written that, I, I think I made a mistake, um, and I and I kept focusing on Chris Bassett, but I think Frankie Montas is, is maybe a more likely target because he's got two years left instead of one. Uh, it, and honestly, I mean, what I wrote, I think I think I wrote this at least that. The name itself isn't really that important. It's that they're going to go after somebody. Um, and so, I, I mean, yeah, Chris Bassett, Frankie Montas, whoever it is, I think the A's are going to move some guys. So I think the Royals, uh, you know, I, th- I think they probably match up. Okay, the A's have, like, no pitching depth in their system. but um, And the Royals have tons. So, you know, trade some depth for, for, for a proven commodity. I think that makes a lot of sense there. But, yeah, they missed out on Scherzer by just, by just 100000 Too bad. Um, he wanted to come back to Missouri. But it uh, just didn't work out. Yeah, that is unfortunate. Um, <laughs> do we have any idea on, on what this ownership group is going to be willing to spend in free agency? Do you think most of the moves are going to be via trades? 
I mean, is it just kind of more of the same with what we saw this past year, where it's more of kind of those intermediate deals, just a few of them with guys like Carlos Santana, or is it just kind of shoulder shrug? We don't really know right now. Well, it's hard to know for sure. What I had heard before this past season was they were willing to go 110-ish, 115. They didn't get there. Um, it just I, I don't think the pieces were there for it. Um, because I don't, And I, I appreciate that they didn't want to just spend money to spend money. But if that's the case this year and they've got some money to spend, the problem, this is a, really, this is a pretty deep free agent class. In all the spots, the Royals have guys already. <laughs> so... It's, it, it, there are a couple options. I mean, they, they can make a move and add to the roster and figure out the, the overlap later, maybe use something for a trade. Um, or they can kind of scour the trade market a little bit and it, without signing anybody. So I, I think that ends up being more likely. But like I said, just because what they need is not out there, what they don't need is out there, um, it's just kind of a, a bad luck in a way. I mean, you look at center field, and that's the spot they need. Starling Marte's probably the only impact guy on that list and he's i think 30 gonna be 33 probably wants a three or four year deal i don't know if that's smart um i mean that that seems like throwing bad money at that 20 2024 and 25 if you're giving him a four-year deal um do you care i, I don't know probably <laughs> so that's a bit of a problem um but, I mean, I think if the right piece is out there, based on what I had heard last offseason, I think they're willing to spend a little money. What I'm most curious about, and we don't, I, th- I think is even more of an unknown, is if J.J. Piccolo's uh, approach to the offseason will be similar to Dayton Moore's, totally different, somewhere in between. Um, because, I mean, it, while Dayton Moore is still around, it, it's a new general manager. And if he wants to put his stamp on the team, even a, even a little bit, we, we might see things done a little bit differently. And that's it, it's funny because, you know, we go into every offseason and we have for the last, I don't know, 12 years or something since we've gotten to know Dayton Moore's tendencies. We go, okay, well, they're going to do this, this, and this. I don't know which player it's going to be, but they're going to get somebody. Like Mike Miner, we knew they were going to go out and get a veteran starter who was fairly underwhelming. We absolutely knew it was going to happen. We knew it was going to be a two-year deal. <laughs> and it didn't matter who it was. I don't. I don't know if JJ Piccolo is going to do that. I don't know if he's going to operate that same way. And so that, to me, is the bigger unknown. And, and you know, September what twenty sixth, we'll find out in like a month and a half, which is nice. It's good. It's good that we're close. But uh, we just don't know what that's going to be yet. Well, you say we'll find out in a month and a half. That's hopeful. If if we don't have any, uh, I guess, strikes with the new uh, CBA up, <laughs> which I'm a little little negative on how that's going to go. But. Um, I know last week we talked about how when you looked at the projection of the Royals lineup, it left a little to be desired in terms of power, at least with what was there to begin the year. And maybe it was zigging with some speed, but you brought up the fact that, yeah, if they do go to some of the young guys and that changes in a heartbeat. And I know you, you wrote about this, the power surge that we're seeing in AAA. Uh, when you look at the power, that's not just there, but also with how well these Royals minor leagues are doing when you have the, the champions in uh, high A and, and double A. What does this all mean for, for the future of the Major League Club and, and as soon as next year? Well, I mean, the biggest thing is if you look at the offensive development and, and how that's progressed over the last, really really this year, but, I mean, it started last season, and I've said this a million times, that as a Royals fan, the absolute worst thing about the 2020 shortened season um, from a baseball perspective only. I'm not talking health. I don't, know. <laughs> don't, don't hate me on that. 
Um, but from a baseball perspective, is that we didn't get to see what they could do last season. And they were coming off that terrible 2019 for a lot of these guys, and it led the Royals to overhaul pretty much everything they did offensively. Well, we've seen it this year, and it works. I mean, it is up and down the organization. You are seeing guys work, work counts better, hit for more power, hit the ball harder, um, just just do everything a little bit better. And so we're see, we've seen that with with Nick Prado and MJ Melendez specifically. Bobby Witt Jr. I, I mean, I think that they helped him. I think that he was probably going to be fine regardless because he's an uber prospect. Um, but you're seeing it up and down the system as well. There are other guys. Michael Massey is a guy who has broken out. Nick Lofton doesn't get talked about enough, but he was phenomenal for like the last two and a half months. And he started the year with an injury, so you wonder how much that played into his early season. I mean, guys like that who are kind of under the radar, and Lofton maybe isn't is so much because he was a high-round pick last year. But still, I mean, these guys who aren't talked about as much. And so I think you'll see some impact quickly with Prado and Melendez and Witt and um, – you know, any, anybody else who, who might find their way to the big leagues at, at the upper levels. But what I like about it, and what I'm very curious to see if it continues, is it seems like the Royals might have put something in place that allows for them to have an actual pipeline of talent. Um, and, and to me, you know, there's the, the long question, because the Royals, they struggled so much with their draft picks for years. I mean, really... Really, after those first few drafts that, that got the guys who were part of the championship core, they didn't develop anybody. I mean, <laughs> they didn't draft anybody, they didn't develop anybody. And the question was, is this a drafting problem? Is this a development problem? Or both. I mean, it could be both, for sure. But I think what we've seen now in this past year is it points resoundingly to the fact that it's a de- it was a development problem. Because they changed the development, and all of a sudden, these guys are hitting. And it's, like I said, it's not just the top prospects. It is top to bottom in the organization, these guys are hitting. And, and I think that that's, you know, for next year, yeah, big. But, I mean, for the next 10 years, this is something that if they can maintain this and if they can continue to evolve and not just not stall where they are, you could be looking at, I mean, the Royals just developing bat after bat after bat. If they can get the pitching side, <laughs> I mean, you're talking about a factory that's kind of like the Rays, honestly, but maybe with even a little more money to spend. So it's exciting. It's exciting to see how it'll go. Uh, yeah, we don't know yet, obviously. You can't know something that hasn't had enough time to, to flush out, but it's, it's exciting to watch this. If I said you couldn't take Salvador Perez, who would be the early favorite to lead the Royals in home runs next year? Oh, boy. it's a good question. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I think that if I can't take Salvador Perez, oh man, I'm look. I'm going to say Bobby Witt Jr. I think mm. the guy has legitimate power. Um, if I mean, you're looking at the, my 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 three guys are Witt, Prado, and Melendez, which is not entirely <laughs> good for the current lineup, I guess. But I mean, you look around. I guess you could say Hunter Dozier if he has a nice if he continues what he's done over the past. Specifically, a few weeks, but really a couple months. He's a guy who could lead the team. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Wit would be the guy because I think he is the most likely to be up on opening day as well. So, um, I mean, it, it's Salvi, but I think if not him, then Wit. All right, we're talking with David Lesky inside the crown here, Derek Johnson, my new co-host Adam Dravetta. We're going to start up a new thing in our guest interviews. It's called One Last Thing with Adam. So, Adam, what is your last thing? One last thing. If you could have any abnormally gigantic animal as a pet, 
I'm thinking like building size, provided you don't get hurt and nobody else gets hurt. If you could have any enormous animal as a pet, what do you choose? Wait, are we talking about normal size animals that become enormous? Bingo, exactly. Okay. Oh, see that, this is, you know, Derek, I got to tell you, this is better than the home run question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it, it, this is really basic, but I'm a dog guy. And I mean, I think back to those Clifford the Big Red Dog books. That oh, was yeah. Like fun. I, I want, I want a big, oh, you know what? I want a big red dog. I'm getting specific here. I want Clifford. That's what I want. <laughs> Well, then you need to, I would imagine, rent yourself an excavator for cleanup. Sure. But other than that, I think you're good to go. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's not, dogs are a lot of work. And I think 45,000-pound uh, dogs are also a lot of work. But be, I, I yeah, it, but. I think that it can be done. Oh, for sure. All right, that is one <laughs> last thing with Adam. He's David Lusky inside the crown. Check out all his work, and he's going to have. Not just great stuff on the Royals finishing the season this week, but heading into the offseason. So you're going to want to keep up with the Royals. Subscribe to that sub sack. David, thank you so much for the time as always, man. Definitely. Thanks, guys. All right, that's David Lesky. Big fan of Clifford the Big Red Dog. Uh, that would be a lot of cleanup in the backyard. Oh, it would be. Yeah, I can't. I think uh, Amelia, wasn't Amelia the name of the girl in the that Clifford books? Familiar. Anyway, uh, regardless, I think. Now, the good thing is if you have a dog of that size, you're going to be like people will want to pay for advertising so they'll be like oh what does the guy with the giant dog use <laughs> oh he uses caterpillar excavators yeah. to clean up his backyard so i mean you'd be fine uh, there it pays for itself right god the love from that thing would be just wonderful oh my goodness um the shedding would yeah. be bad you'd need it to be like a a non-shedding clifford the bear i don't know if clifford ever shed i'd have to go back didn't and seem to all right well uh, good to know. So we'll be doing that segment. Really like the first question. You got a lot to live up for now uh, for the next time you're here. I think it'll be with Jesse Newell. So get one ready for, for Jesse. Maybe a numbers-based one. He's yeah, Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Our NFL Monday overreactions with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson here. I'll go first, and then I'll let you have the next one. Um, the Chiefs aren't going to win the AFC West. What do you think of that overreaction? I think it's... Uh, I mean, I, I can tell you a lot of Chiefs fans are scared, mm -hmm. but I think I, I, the nature of being a really good team, and we talked about this somewhat earlier with uh, with KU football on the other side of that same coin, the nature of a really good team is, is losses seem much, much bigger than they are. Close wins seem to mean much more than they actually do. I, I mean, Vegas seems to still view the Chiefs as the favorite uh, to win the AF, the entire AFC, not just the AFC West. But I, I mean, they're they're what? They're two games back with with fourteen to play. Yeah. I and and you know they, they still have. I, I think they still have everybody in their division left to play. I mean, look, I, I you I would still I think still think the Chiefs win the AFC West. But as far as how much of an overreaction is that, I think there are. A lot of nervous Chiefs fans who who feel the same way. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's that big of an overreaction. It's probably a mild one. If you do the test of which sometimes I, I try to do this to be as you know because you get so involved with your team that you think every low is the worst yeah. and every high is the best, right? Um, and that's not always the case. So it's try to do the test of if I was a I don't know Chicago Bears fan, what would I be thinking right now against the Kansas City Chiefs? I would think. Oh, ho-hum, you lost two straight games. I'll bet you you're going to be just fine and you guys are going to go to the playoffs, right? That's probably the thought from the outside. But winning the division, I'm not saying they're not going to make the playoffs. 
Winning the division is a, a lot taller task, and it's hard to win the division so many years consecutively. And they've already won, what, like six straight in a row? Maybe this is the time that it comes to close and the Chiefs are wild card. And honestly, you know, you, you'd prefer to host games. You'd prefer to have the bye week. But maybe you're better off being in a situation where you were a couple of years ago to where you were hot going into the playoffs than last year where it felt like you were kind of limping into the playoffs just in terms of every game you were barely winning by the skin of your teeth. The team I always look at and the team that I kept comparing the night the 2019 Chiefs to was the 2010 Packers. Now, the 2010 Packers did not win their division, of course, in, in 2019. The, the Chiefs did, and they got a, not only did they win their division, they got a bye. But, you know, the, the Packers had the best quarterback in the league. They were probably, when fully healthy, the best team in the league. And they just they got red hot late because everybody became healthy. I would, I mean, I would... If you if you'd offer me, would you would you rather the Chiefs go, you know, thirteen and four, but have a but struggle in December, or would you rather them go eleven and six, but they're hot down the stretch? I would choose to be optimistic going into the playoffs if the Chiefs are are a wild card team, uh, but they're hot in the last the last few games. That's the biggest difference with having Patrick Mahomes instead of Alex Smith, right? Yeah. With Alex Smith, you needed to be that top seed, and, you and that could, still might not be enough. You could wonder how much of this slow start has to do from the... Now, the defense, everybody is... There aren't really many new pieces to the defense, but on the offensive side, if if the Chief, if the reason the Chiefs get hot late, if if the way we're talking comes to fruition and the reason they're, they're hot late is because that offensive line finally gels and starts putting things together, then there's going to be even more reason for optimism. Okay, do you have an overreaction? I'm going to go with... Uh, Cliff Kingsbury certified better coach than Urban Meyer. Wow. 3 okay. and 0. They just, just beat, beat him. him. And I mean, I'm going to tell you if if Cliff Kingsbury worked at uh worked at programs like uh Ohio State and Florida, he never would have lost a game in college. Well, I mean, it's clearly that Cliff Kingsbury is the better NFL coach, yeah. so I mean, I don't get why that wouldn't translate outside of recruiting, which obviously is a very important thing and Urban Meyer, it, it's it's an overreaction. But Cliff Kingsbury, definitely a better NFL coach. More to the point, I, I think what we're seeing is Cle- Cliff Kingsbury, excuse me, Cliff Kingsbury is is good in the NFL. I mean, yeah. well, is is can hold his own in the because NFL. Because I think that is the crux of it. Urban Meyer is an elite recruiter. Yeah. Cliff Kingsbury, it's not that I don't think he was a bad recruiter. I just don't think he cared as much. That could be. I mean, how much Some guys you, hate recruiting? You know, you have to love like recruiting is such a huge deal in college, but in the NFL, you really have to be somebody who can sit, who loves watching film. I mean, everyone talks about, you know, all oh, these coaches work crazy hours, and that's true, but that's because they love it so much. And like, even if they were, even if they did something else for a living, their hobby would be breaking down game tape and I, it, it's possible that cliff kingsbury just loves the x's and o's and and i'm sure he's a tremendous communicator you know and, and that counts for a lot so i mean he's he's I, I will take that now you know we're obviously joking with with he, his performance in college versus urban meyer's performance in college but uh, yeah i'll, I'll stand there that the cliff kingsbury is going to turn out in the long run to have a better nfl career than urban meyer i'll take that all right speaking of a college coach who transitioned to the nfl Pete Carroll's time is up. That's my Monday overreaction because Seattle might just be the worst team in the NFC West. Cardinals, who you just mentioned, 3-0. 
49ers just dropped the game, but it was a close game that could have gone either way to the Packers, who were a team who were in the NFC Championship last year. So 49ers, clearly good. Rams just beat the Bucs. Rams might be the best team in the NFC. Seahawks might be the worst team in the NFC West. And, I mean, there's there's actually like a sliver of a chance that the NFC West gets all three wildcard teams this year. I don't necessarily think it'll happen because you have the Panthers and the Saints and the Bucks all in the NFC South, and you would think one of those, just by nature of not having to play each other, whereas the West all will beat up on each other, will get in with maybe a game-better record or something. But it's possible. And if the Seahawks don't make the playoffs, after the offseason that was had with Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, Pete Carroll's getting a little bit older, who are you going to go with? You're going to go with the, the quarterback who still has, what, I don't know, five, seven years left? A ball? Or are you going to go with the seventy whatever year old coach? That's that's a huge huge point. I think more often than not, players a lot. It, it's 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 much more true in the NBA yeah. and the NFL, but it still holds some truth in with the, the NFL. That, that, especially exactly the the quarterback particularly gets more more leeway uh, than the coach. Now I have I want to stick in the NFC West. If you have if you have something more to say about this, you can. Uh, about the Seahawks, but if you're ready to move on, I have another one about the NFC West. Let's do it. Uh, the Matt Stafford was the best offseason pickup Ooh. by far. I'm trying to think what else would be in that discussion. Um, Jared Goff to the Lions, going back the other way, obviously not nearly as much no. as Matt Stafford. I don't know if you're counting draft picks. Yeah, I'm counting. I'm counting think, acquisitions, right. trades, and okay. free agent acquisitions, trades, and drafts. Okay. I'm trying to think if there are other, any other trades that come to mind. None come to mind in my head. Other free agent signings. Um, Jadavian Clowney to the Browns. I don't know how much that'll impact. Ooh, Julio Jones to the Titans. But yeah, Matt Stafford it plays a more impactful position, too. Yeah. And I, I think when you when you factor in where he went, I mean, the, you know, I, I, I'm not huge on uh, Jared Goff. And I think when you look at what, what they were able to do with him in Los Angeles— now I, I I felt all year that they relied way too much on the play action, which is easy, easy to sniff out, especially when you're in downs where you you know your the defense knows you're not going to run. So I thought that defense they got as much as they could out of or that offense, excuse me, got as much as they could out of Jared Goff. Uh, but I still think they relied too heavily on the play action. I think there's so much more you can do with Matt Stafford, and when you are. You know, when when you're the the type of, that loves drawing up plays, you know that you're just having dreams about the kind of plays you can run up when you've got a talented quarterback like Matt Stafford, who I, I think is, I think we've very we've seen still has plenty of juice left. Oh, 100%. percent. Um, updated MVP odds too. I think Stafford's second. Yeah, Kyler Murray's first. Matthew Stafford's second. Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen are kind of all bunched there. Aaron Rodgers as well. And then it's a little bit of a drop-off to Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, Derek Carr. Derek Carr might be kind of low odds there. I don't know. Could be one of those, like, Matt Ryan seasons for Derek Carr is what's happening right now. But, yeah, Matthew Stafford's been fantastic. All right, we'll do one more each. I'm going to go to the kicking game. We had a lot of big kicks occur over the weekend. Most notable, Justin Tucker hit the long one for the win over the Lions. And Matthew Prater, or not Matthew Prater, I'm sorry, uh, Mason Crosby hits the long field goal make for the Packers to come back on the 49ers and beat them. If you took any kicker, any starting kicker from the 2021 season and threw them back into 1955, they would win NFL MVP. 55? Uh, yeah. 
I mean, I, I would I would tend to agree with that because you're you know so much is now how often it's kind of strange. I mean, it, most the the leading scorer in most NFL franchises history is a kicker. Yes. Because you figure they get three points every like, kick, they get one point virtually every. Yeah. Touchdown. Okay. Here's the thing. In in 1955, I have the season here. It's not like offenses are putting up these crazy stats. The leading passer in 1955, Jim Finks, had 2,200 yards. Alan Amici was the leading rusher with 900 yards. Who won MVP that year? Uh, um, or wasn't it even an probably award? like Otto Graham or Jim Brown because the Browns won the the Super Bowl that year, 38 to 14. So I, I'm just guessing that would have been prime Jim Brown or Otto Graham season. I don't know, but if you put a kicker back into those, like if all the games are basically, you know, nine to seven, like let me see what the leading offense averaged. Okay, the Browns average. Okay, the Browns offense was actually good that year. This doesn't count anymore. Uh, 1940. 1940. If you bring them back to 1940. Well, you're gonna. The problem is, Derek, you're getting to a point with with Justin Tucker specifically. Now, Mason Crosby is just an incredible athlete who takes great care of himself. What you're running into with Justin Tucker is you're going. If you go too far back, they're not going to have the necessary technology to keep up <laughs> what his needs because yeah. he's a robot. We've mm. we've all but confirmed that. So I just don't know. Like, are they going to be able to to have? Will the power grid be able to sustain an entity like Justin Tucker? That is true. Probably not. But like in 1940, the, the Steelers scored 60 points in 11 games. So Justin Tucker. Just by getting you to the 40-yard line, which back then you probably, I don't know what the longest field goal would have been. You probably would have needed to go another 10, 20 yards down the field. And at that point, the field goal post at the front. So you can actually just get to like the 50-yard line, the 60-yard line, or your own 40-yard line. You yeah. kick a field goal and you make it. He's automatic. But yes, he, he is a robot and you can't recharge him. Yeah, and that's so you you really just need him to keep. You'd, you'd have a one-time use for him, basically. Mm. Um, I'm going to go, I'm looking over the standings here, and you know what? I think my, and I don't even know how much of an overreaction this is. I think this is kind of more of a response to an overreaction we all had after week one. Uh, I think the Packers are confirmed better team than New Orleans Saints. Yeah, which and is funny. Both teams have the same record. They have the same record, and New Orleans not only has the head-to-head -head win, they have a gigantic head-to-head -head win. Uh, but I think th that is the response from an overreaction that that we probably all had after the Saints beat the Packers I, it was either 31 to 3 or 31 to 10 I can't remember if the Packers got a whatever touchdown at the end but they just got smoked by the Saints in Jacksonville earlier in the year um, I guess my my overreaction could be that Jacksonville is a better home field advantage than New Orleans is <laughs> for the Saints but ultimately so maybe this isn't too much of an overreaction because we're talking about a team that a lot of people had as the NFC favorite uh, behind the Bucks coming into the year, uh, but I think we can all but confirm, even though we're only two weeks out from that blowout win from the Saints over the Packers, I think we can confirm that the Packers are a better football team than the Saints. All right, that's Adam Druvetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Those are your NFL Monday overreactions. This is RCST. Derek Johnson in with Adam Druvetta. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017. 1320 KLWN, 5 o'clock hour here. Chiefs lose to the Chargers, 30-24. to KU loses to Duke, 52-23. to Which loss, and, and I, before I, I ask this question, I need to preface it by, I know if I would have told you going into the weekend, 
it would be less surprising that KU lost. But given how they both happened and what they both mean moving forward, which of those two losses was more disappointing? I would still say the Chiefs. I know we talked earlier about uh, probably a thing that we were most discouraged with 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 Duke. The loss for Kansas to Duke was that it, it seemed like some old problems from previous regimes were cropping up, mainly not being able to let go of mistakes and turning one mistake into eight minutes of terrible football, which ultimately was why Duke won. If not won, certainly won by as much as they did. But I think... Um, I just with with Jason Bean, you know, playing how he did. You mentioned the receivers earlier. I would say the the Chiefs, uh, for the plain and simple fact of of you've got Super Bowl aspirations. And one thing that worries me now, I could, if I were forced to in a high school debate class, take the other side of this. <laughs> yeah, I a little could, first take action. I could make the argument that this is reason for optimism, not pessimism. But I. One thing that does concern me is how good Reed and Mahomes have been in September. They've been so, so good. And these problems are showing up in September. Now, the other side of that, if you choose to be optimistic, you could say, well, it's possible that Andy Reed just isn't digging as deeply into his playbook as he has in previous Septembers. He's saving some of that for later in the year. Um, but I, I still, if I could, if the Chiefs were sitting here at 2-1, and one, then that answer would probably be the, the Jayhawks. But because it, it fell to the Chiefs to 1-2, and two, again, with 14 games left to go, if there's a season you want them to, fall to, or to start 1-2, and it would be the one where you have 17, not 16 games. But still, they, I don't know, the, the manner in which they've lost, uh, you know, just makes me, and as we talked about before, how much are these close losses and close victories, you know, going back to last season, how related are they? I think from a short-term perspective, it is more disappointing for the Chiefs. I agree with you there. Just because you have the, the Super Bowl aspirations, just because it was a game that, I mean, quite honestly, you outplayed the Chargers. And and that's two in a row, two games in a row. Correct. You, you outplayed the opponent yes, and you lost. Yes, and you just gave it away. Because of a mistake. Right. And the Ravens won a little less so because it was, I mean, I guess it was technically two mistakes. The Mahomes interception and the Clyde Edwards-Alaire fumble. Yeah. But still, outside of that, they... They played well, at least offensively, and, and you could contribute that to the defense being bad, but I don't view that as, oh, the defense just played bad. I think the defense is bad for the Chiefs. You kind of have to deal with that the rest of the year. In the Chargers game, defense played better than you have in the first two games, and you were minus four in turn. That's what's interesting in the game. If you're even minus, what, minus three in turnovers, you might win the game. If you're minus two in turnovers, I don't even think it's a question. Yeah, I'll have to go back and check. I can't remember exactly which which uh, turnover, like what the Chargers did with each turnover. I think there was one they punted. I mean, none of them led to, like, great field position. They all started on their half of the ball. Now, the Mahomes interception at the but, end, they were close to But at the very least, midfield. you could count Same that. Same with the Clyde fumble, I think. At the very least, you know, let's say the Chiefs of those, you know, they had three or four turnovers, cut that in half. Let's say they score on two and they punt on two, right? So you're looking at at least six more points if that turns out to be two field so goals. Now you're tied. That's a tie. Or you're looking at maybe 10 more points if it's a touchdown and field goal, you win, or potentially 14 more points. So if you cut those, it, that's the biggest thing. If you cut those in half, it's not just what did the other team do with those turnovers, it's what did those turnovers prevent the Chiefs from accomplishing? Were they going to score? So if you just cut those in half and say you're, two of those drives would have ended in a punt, 
two of them would have ended a score in some of some sort, then you're at least tied. If not, you're winning. Yeah, and I mean the Mahomes interception at the end, like you might not score on that drive. If it's not an interception, it might be incomplete. You would have been a fourth and eight in that situation. So that's one where you probably don't score. Um, but yeah, the one where Marcus Kemp it goes off his hands, and listen, I get it. I you hear that? Oh, it was a little behind him. Okay, you are paid a million. I, I don't know. He's probably in the minimum, so it's close to a million dollars. You're paid a million dollars to catch football, and I don't mean to say it's easy because it's not. Not everybody can go out there and do it. But you are wide open. There's not a receiver within seven or a defensive back within seven yards of you. So I don't care if it's a foot behind your head. Catch the dang ball. That led to the first one. And if you catch that ball, I don't know. He might even score on that play with as open as he is. But at the very least, you're in the red zone there. You're getting points. You're probably getting a touchdown. Um, the Tyreek Hill one. I don't know if they were in the red zone, if they were on the just the outskirts of it. Same thing. Clyde Edwards-Alaire one, they were closer to midfield, so maybe that's one that you don't score. Maybe you just get a field goal out of it. But that's one where you give it to the Chargers and give them good field position to go down and score on their end. So I, I think I view it that way and say that, you know, it's more disappointing how the Chiefs lost than that they lost that game and that now you're in a two-game hole in the division. But because of the way they have lost... The defense is not new because we saw that in 2018, and that wasn't Achilles Hill, and that still is a challenge, and that might prevent you from going far. But based on the way they lost with the turnovers that we haven't seen in the Patrick Mahomes era for a couple of years, makes me think it's correctable. Whereas the KU stuff, that might have been their most winnable game remaining. Here's a question for you, because everyone's talking about 2018, because obviously that was the last time the defense mm -hmm. was just absolutely putrid. Is it? You know, Spagnolo did not consistently get better in his previous stops as defensive coordinators, and and I don't want to make too much of this. And by no means am I am I going to call for Steve Spagnolo to lose his job. I think it could be a very big. You know, a lot of it could just be, you know, you're off just a hair, and you know how much is it is just poor tackling. If it's poor tackling, that's on the players. Now, if it's poor scheme and you're not put, putting in the players in the best position to make a tackle, that's on the defensive coordinator. But the point is, that's kind of been a steady pattern in Steve Spagnuolo's stops as a defensive coordinator is consistent kind of slippage year to year in how they do. It's it's not an alarm, but it is it is something worth. Yeah, it's 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 a blip on the radar. It matters right now. It does. And, you know, that is one, I guess, knock against Andy Reid sometimes that, I don't know, sometimes it's a strength, but sometimes it can be a knock that he's too loyal. Yeah, he kept Bob Sutton for at least one, maybe two seasons too uh -huh. long. And you wonder if that would be the case there. And again, if they get the defense turned around, they just get to league average, then nobody's going to be complaining anymore. Now, last year, I can't remember off, the defense was clearly good enough to get to a Super Bowl, and we don't know what they would have done. Right had they had a healthy offense and they didn't get as tired as they did in Tampa in the Super Bowl. So, you know, we're, we're just, for the first time, I think, under Spagnolo, we're seeing the defense play at, at a bad, bad level. We've seen them go, man, we were, you know, we've, we've had in last year, we had a few moments where we thought, man, I really miss 2019 because toward the end of that 2019 season, that defense was on. But, you know, there are just certain things that, that puzzle me. I mean, think of how think of how much we thought Juan Thornhill was going to be a huge loss going mm -hmm. into the playoffs in 2019, the year that the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. 
And now Juan Thornhill, we looked it up earlier. That might be the bigger story than anything. Is is Juan Thornhill, is there some sort of lack of communication or lack of understanding between Spagnolo and Brett Veach? Because, I mean, the players that are being brought in, particularly the ones that are being drafted, haven't found the field a lot for Steve Spagnolo. And I can't imagine that Spagnolo views Daniel Sorensen as a great player, but it's a problem if you views him as his best option. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you want to play a little reckless speculation? One Thornhill tweeted, "This is three days ago. Would that be Friday?" Taking all this bleep personal, and and you wonder now is is he talking about? Because Spagnolo said something. And I, and I, I want to be very careful here because I hate misquoting. No, reckless but speculation. He, he's, All he's, this is speculation. Well, he said something to the to the. I think his exact wording was, uh, "We'll get Juan in when he earns it." Mm-hmm. What does he have to do to earn it? Right. All he has. I mean, Daniel Sorensen is Daniel Sorensen. We has proven to be a good like Daniel Sorensen has proven to be a, a a quality backup for a championship contender. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, he's not, you're not a championship contender if Daniel Sorensen's starting for your defense, unless you want to have to score 50 points a game like the 2018 Houston. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's where I am too, because I think that's an interesting discussion of, you know, we saw in 2019 and 2020, 2020, you make the Super Bowl, 2019, you win the Super Bowl, where your defense was basically around league average mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways. And but really good at the last half Correct. of 2019. And so you could make the argument and say, well, that's what they need the defense to be. Just be around league average, but be playing a little bit better than that. Get the defensive line revved up and go and get into pass rush in the playoffs. Could you argue, though, even though 2018, as disastrous as that defense was, and the reason I'm asking is because that might have to be the blueprint this year. Yeah. As disastrous as that defense was, could you argue it was still good enough to win a Super Bowl that year? I think you could. Well, yeah, I mean they were an off offsides away from going. Right. And they were I mean they were might have been a coin flip yeah. away from going to the Super Bowl. And then I I think I would have liked their chances against the Rams in the Super Bowl. I know the Rams beat them earlier that year, but I yeah, thought the Rams it, did in the Super Bowl. And they and by then Todd Gurley was really hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh I mean yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it, I would I would prefer I mean, the way the NFL is set up now, I'd prefer if, if you had to say you're going to be elite on one side of the ball and not and, and bad on the other side of the ball, I take offense as the elite 100% of the time. Uh, and so if, if the but like we talked about, this is this is matters more than ever for Mahomes to cut out the mistakes. Then if this is what it's going to come down to now, I do think Spagnolo had, you know, Sutton and I. You know, I, I like rehashing games. I'm not. I don't drill down ten hours of film like a lot of. You know, there's some really good writers, Seth Kaiser, Nate Taylor, both with the Athletic. There are some really good Chiefs, Chiefs beat writers who love breaking down film. I'm not at their level, but I know enough to know that Spagnolo adjusts, and Bob Sutton, at yeah. least in the last year, never really did. So I think there's reason to believe that this defense could be better than that. Um, so if, you know, if you could take, if you could give me the 25th best defense and tell me that Mahomes is only going to throw one pick for the rest of the year, I'd, I'd feel really, really good well, about that, where that's the Chiefs the are going. This is what I said earlier. I, I feel like this is turning into Patrick Mahomes 
has no margin for error, that the mistakes he has made at the end of games, while very costly and problematic, he has been given no margin for error to make those mistakes like some other top-tier quarterbacks might have. And that's the issue if you get down that line. So I think it's, it's, a, two, it's a two-sided sword. On one hand, you could say, maybe if they're even just as bad as 2018, that could be good enough to win the Super Bowl because they almost did it. But then again, if you are that bad, you have a small, small margin for error for the offense. And let's not forget, as you still have Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, that 2018 offense was still the best Chiefs offense we've seen. And I mean, you, that, that, that broke records. They led the league in, in points per game. It, it was incredible. You're go- and you're going to see a lot of games, if, if this continues, you're going to see a lot of games where people say things like, oh, man, it's because, you know, why did Andy Reid run with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? Why did Clyde Edwards-Hilaire fumble? Why did Patrick Mahomes throw that interception? When in reality, the answer to a lot of these games isn't, you know, isn't going to be why did such and such make that mistake? The, the, the answer is going to be why did one mistake turn out to be the killer? I mean, that's the issue. It, it, you're going to keep having these close games where you're going to point to, boy, if they just didn't do this, if they did, if the offense just didn't do this, uh, if they just didn't do that, God forbid we go back to having to deal with people complaining that the Chiefs score too quickly. <laughs> we don't want to ever go back to that. So, you know, it, it, the, the offense is going to get blamed for mistakes when in reality it's going to be why on earth are they in a position where they can't make these mistakes? I, I I say just at this point, just steer into the offense. Go trade for, I don't know, who's a bad team with a good trade? DJ Chark. Yeah. Jacksonville, you know, just, uh, who else is a bad team? Um, Jets are bad. They don't really and, have And here's, team. okay. I don't know, just beef it up as much as possible. Here's another question. At what point do, do you do you start thinking about that from a draft standpoint? Mm-hmm. Like, if you start thinking question. of it, because we, I, I'm trying to think, well, what was the, it? Two years big, ago, the, they drafted all defense? Yeah, and the that biggest— That didn't work. Well, and we saw it in the early 2000s with mm-hmm. Dick Vermeil and Greg Robinson, the defensive coordinator, where they kept drafting um, Ryan Sims. Everyone, oh, my God, he broke the, the college, you know, and he just turned out and, you know, I don't know how he was in practice, but he was certainly first in line for the buffet after every game. <laughs> we knew that about Ryan Sims. So is this what it's going to turn into where— Oh, we'll just solve the defense by drafting defensive talent. Well, if that clearly doesn't work. Yeah, might as well then, just steer into the just, offense. Exactly. Yeah. Then go all in on the offense yeah. and start, you know, and if nothing else, you're making headlines because you're going to be like Hal Mummy in the 1980s. <laughs> hey, yeah, hire Mike Leach as OC. If Eric Bieniemy leaves, boom, you're good to go. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. On the other side, the Chiefs do have a reinforcement for that offense. We'll talk about him next. New friend alert for the Kansas City Chiefs, Josh Gordon. Just got reinstated over the weekend. The receiver is going to be signing with the Kansas City Chiefs. Adam Schefter had it first. It's been confirmed. I saw, um, I think, Sam McDowell for the Kansas City Star as well. Reinforcements to the receiver position. Now, Josh Gordon, this isn't... He's one of those guys who had this, like, one amazing season, and everybody wants to look and be like, oh, but Josh Gordon, that one year... He's a pro bowler. He caught 87 balls for 1,646 yards and nine touchdowns on a bad Cleveland Browns team. Who I don't even know if the, who the quarterback was. I don't know if it was Derek Anderson or who. But it's like, holy cow, this guy's such a great player. Hasn't really 
followed up with that, um, and that was in 2013. So that was a long time ago. But here's what Josh Gordon does provide. He provides stability as a number two receiver. He provides more than you're currently getting as your number two receiver. And I think, you know, you still have the problem with Demarcus Robinson. Where he catches the ball and he loses. There was a play yesterday where Demarcus Robinson catches it on like a 15-yard comeback or in route or something, and he immediately loses four yards. You know who I think Demarcus Robinson has been watching too much of? Because, and and anybody, you know... I remember Mark Easley used to do that a lot in college. If you hear more of me, you'll know I have a huge affinity. I'm a Chiefs fan, but I have a huge affinity for the Green Bay Packers, so I I follow them very closely, too. I think he watches too much Devontae Adams because Devontae Adams is a bad habit of doing that exact same thing. The difference is Devontae Adams also has every now and then just enough to keep him doing it, plays where he will actually successfully cut back to evade and gain another 12 yards that he wouldn't have had. Uh, But you you can't, you know, the problem, you know, a lot of players want to view themselves as the exception, but when their talent suggests is they're the rule, not the exception. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a problem. And so that's a problem for Demarcus Robinson. Byron Pringle had, I don't think this was talked about much yesterday, he had two bad drops yesterday. There was the one on the corner route, which it would have been a tough catch, but again, didn't get hit, was open. One you need to reel in. Um, then there was one on that, I think it was the last drive of the game. They threw over the middle, and there's a post route. I, I can't remember if it was the second to last drive before the interception or the very last drive where they were trying to set up the Hail Mary. That was a bad drop there. And then McCole Hardman, just, just that's not coming together. He's great on jet sweeps. He's, yeah, the, the second, I was, I was basically done with, with McCole Hardman when he admitted in a press conference that he did not – well, I wasn't able to. We weren't able to work out our schedules. Now it's it's very well known that Mahomes and his receivers work out at a. Key, it's not known which one, or maybe they just rotate. But it's known that the Chiefs receivers and Mahomes receivers plus Kelsey work out every off season at a local high school. It, that's that's a very well known fact. And McCole Hardman was asked if he if he was part of that, and he said no, we weren't able to get our schedules right. No. He's Patrick Mahomes. You right. you make your schedule yeah. work right, and it's one week of the off season. Ta- right? This is the this is a, a great example, and a, we need to get back to talking about Josh Gordon. But a a, a great example between Tyree Kill and McCole Hardman. When Tyree Kill was upset because he was taken, uh, he was selected to the Pro Bowl as a punt and kick returner rather than a wide receiver. He spent time going from receiver to receiver to receiver. What are your off-season workout plan regimen? What what kind of how do you improve your routes? Well, how do you work out in the off-season? And now he's one of the best receivers in the, in the National Football League. And even if he doesn't play for the Chiefs after this contract, he's still going to go get gobs of money to play wide receiver somewhere. McCole Hardman has the best quarterback right now in the NFL, and he couldn't figure a way to make his schedule work for one or two weeks to show up at a local high school to run a few routes and get that right. As soon as I heard that, I was never high on McCole Hardman, but as soon as that, as soon as I heard that, and this isn't like some leak, he said this was a conversation he had at a press conference. He said it himself. As soon as I heard that, I was pretty well done uh, with with McCole Hardman. So uh, on the topic of what you're getting versus what you currently have, Josh Gordon's kind of shown uh, on some level, he knows what it is to play 
to to play pro football. He's got tons of experience. Um, difficulties with marijuana. I, I don't want to make light of that. I know addiction is a very real thing. Um, but he had, I mean, as far back as his time at Baylor, he got in trouble with pot. I think he missed two or three full seasons because of pot in the NFL. I hope he's, you know, not just from a football standpoint, from a personal standpoint, I hope he's, he's dealt with whatever he needs to deal with there so he can be successful uh, and, and be active, not just with football, but, but in life where he's not so dependent on, on pot. But if, if he's beyond that, from a football standpoint, you have a very clear... If you don't have an obvious number two receiver, you've added a lot of quality to the amalgam that has been your number two receiver. Mm, great word there. Uh, but yeah, Josh Gordon, I mean, like you said, he's he's a he's a professional, I guess is the way to put it. Um, he's, he's missed a ton of games, missed all of 2015, 2016 with that league substance abuse policy, which, you know, looking back on now, it is silly that there has been this much attention and 32 games because of pop. Yeah. And that, that's just that year. He's been suspended more games over the coming years. He missed all of last year too, and just got uh, re-upped over this past weekend for this season. Um, but he's missed games in previous seasons. I think 11 games in 2019, 12 games in 2018, but in, in 2018 with a combination, he played one game with Cleveland. Most often was with new England and in 11 games, with new England, he got 40 passes for 720 yards. That's a really good season three years ago. If you get that production out of your number two receiver in this Chiefs offense, which really is your number three receiver behind Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, you'd absolutely take that. 2019, his last season, played 11 games, combination of New England and Seattle, had 27 catches for 426 yards. So over the course of a 16-game season, that's, I don't know, about 650 yards. I think you would probably take that. That's probably still an upgrade. My immediate number two. My immediate thought when I saw this, and and I hadn't even I knew in the back of my mind that he played for New England, but I didn't even mean this in the sense that he's already played for the Patriots. This just feels like a Patriots move, uh, a very a player who's got shown great great talent, who you get him at extremely low value, and you say, all right, you either buy into how we do things here, and you're great. Or you don't buy in, and we didn't spend anything on you, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. And this was immediately the first thing I thought was, this is a Patriots esque move, and I love it. Yeah. So this I, is this is extreme. This is very high high potential reward, virtually no risk. You know, on a scale of like, because we've seen the Chiefs do this before with these older veterans, but they've usually been running backs. So like Le'Veon Bell, you didn't get anything of worth out Terrell of Terrell Suggs comes to mind as, yeah, another, as a Suggs, non-running that back. That one was probably helpful at least a little bit. Um, if nothing McCoy, else, he helped the locker room. Correct. And Le- he, you had a guy, I'm sorry to interrupt, but with Suggs, you had a guy who had been part of a world championship team. Yeah, and, and LaShawn McCoy was another guy kind of like Le'Veon Bell, though you got a little more out of LaShawn McCoy early in the season. Um, I think you get on a scale of like that, it's somewhere in between. It's above Le'Veon Bell probably above LaShawn McCoy, at least to what he means because of the position, and maybe a little less than Terrell Suggs with what he's bringing to the locker room. But I'll say this, in terms of what this means moving forward, this is a clear designation of the Chiefs maybe finally giving up on the idea McCole Hardman is going to be that number two, which means to me they are going to be shopping for a receiver at some point in the offseason, whether it's in the draft or free agency. That brings me to two questions on this. One, do you think this is do you think that answer for uh, next year's receiver is it going to be an extension for Josh Gordon? 
That's my first question. Do you think it will? And my second question is, is do you want that? I think it's a tryout this year. I, I don't think it's a predetermined, we're going to do it, but you can probably get him for cheap. He's a little older. He's had the past history stuff. If he performs well, yeah, all for it. Give him a one-year $5 million deal or whatever you'll have to give him. I would One year, max one year. I right. just, I don't, and, and this is I, this is going to sound harsh, but business can be harsh sometimes. I don't want him to feel comfortable. I want him to feel like I can't screw up. I think he's at a point in his career age-wise and because of all of those past suspensions where I don't think it's going to be po- Unless he goes out there and he has like, you know, 1,200 yards, which yeah. we're not expecting, I don't think that's possible. But uh, going back to what we talked about earlier too with Brett Veach and, and talking about this receiver thing, you look at McCole Hardman getting taken at 56th, and they're going to have to move and they off traded him up now. for him. They traded up for him, and here's some names of, of even receivers who went behind him. D.K. Metcalf went eight picks after him. Deontay Johnson went ten picks after him. I mean, Terry McLaurin went 20 picks after him, and Terry McLaurin's like multi-time pro bowler for the, for the Washington football team. So, um, yeah, just another one you chalk up for Brett Veach and say – how much are you are you negatively impacting what the roster looks like here? And it's going to be time to move on from another former Brett Veach draft pick in uh, McCole Hardman. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Shock Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.